Yeah, the SGR. Let's talk about the SGR. <laughs> <laughs> so the SGR took 13 years. Everyone said I couldn't do it and that I was foolish to keep trying. So the way I look at it, uh, we're now, what, seven years this month after the signing of the Affordable Care Act? So what's the rush? we got time, right? 13 years. Let's think about things for just a minute. If, if I were giving, having this chat with you in October of this past year, everyone had in their mind what the future was going to be like, and what they had in their mind is not what the future was like. So in that alternate universe where Hillary Clinton had won the presidency, would we be talking about the Affordable Care Act and health care this morning? And the answer is, you know, we would be. And the case has been made, and I'm, I'm not going to go through the litany of things again, but the case has been made about the ways in which the Affordable Care Act was undergoing some serious stress and was likely going to fracture, and it was going to be a big mess, regardless of who was occupying the White House. Well, things turned out differently than a lot of people thought in October, and as they say, we, we are where we are. But the ACA still <coughs> I guess the advantage for someone like me who didn't want to be having the debate about uh, public option, who didn't want to be having a debate about bigger fines, bigger penalties if you don't buy insurance, uh, more coercion from the government, now we get to talk about is it possible to move to a market where perhaps there are more market forces, where there are lower premiums, and where, yes, patients can be considered as part of the equation and not just the government. So from my perspective, that's good. That's a good thing. And although people have expressed sympathy to me for what I'm doing right now, I will just tell you, if I had any other role right now, I'd be miserable. I want to be doing this. This is the fight I asked for. This is where I wanted to be. Now, just from the purely political perspective, and I'm not a good one to talk about that because I, I don't tend to think politically, but just purely from the political perspective, when Senator Ted Cruz and Bernie Sanders had their reprise of the health care debates on one of the cable shows a few weeks ago, I think Senator Cruz laid out the, the argument very, very coherently. You had three national referenda on the Affordable Care Act, 2010, 2014, 2016, and each and every time the American people said, do something, we don't like this, please do something different. So that's where we are today, and it does it does fall to us. Uh, look, if this is if this was easy, it would have already been done. When uh, people used to criticize me and say, "Well, wait a minute, Republicans don't—they just criticize; they don't have any ideas." Uh, I don't know if you'll recall. I think I came to this group and I talked about my vision for even under the Affordable Care Act, things we could be doing that were different. And just interest of full disclosure, I did not take the special deal that other members of Congress did. I bought a bronze plan in healthcare.gov in uh, December of 2013, one of the worst experiences I've ever been through in my life, but it was important to do that so that I understood what the people at home in the individual market were encountering every day. What are they encountering? Premiums higher than I ever thought possible and having to pay for those with after-tax dollars. So that was one of the things I argued. We should fix that. We should not, if we're going to require people in the individual market to pay higher and higher premiums, at least let's give them a break on the tax side. Mm -hmm. I did talk about expanding health savings accounts. I've had a health savings account now for over 20, well, it's been over 20 years that HSAs were first uh, were first allowed as a demonstration project in the Kennedy Castlebaum bill. Some of you may remember. I'm a believer in health savings accounts. I kind of I'm, I'm used to a high deductible <coughs> health plan. 
I've never seen a deductible like this. And the $6,000, that $700 a month premium, and on top of that, you've got a $6,000 deductible, and people would ask me, well, is it a narrow network? Can you even see your doctor? I don't know. I don't care. I'm not going to the doctor. It's $6,000. And I paid $700 a month for this policy. I can't afford it. So I know when people tell me that the, this, this, this system was not working for them, I get it. Um, and I do believe, and we, we talked about selling across state lines, and I have talked about this for some time, I do believe there needs to be a national market. No, not for every insurance policy, but in my opinion, for those high deductible health plans, it should be the, the backstop or the fail-safe for that health savings account. On the subject of health savings accounts, in the Affordable Care Act, with a deductible of $6,000, and I'm capped at $3,400 that I can contribute every year, that was a mismatch and needed to be fixed. And, and, and we did that in the bill that went through Ways and Means and Energy and Commerce. Um, I, so I truly think that some of the things that we're doing today are exactly the things I talked about along the way. I would also point out, and, and uh, Andrew, I will leave this, uh, this for you, but we talked about uh, the speaker required us to put all our ideas down, not just in health care, but tax reform, national defense, poverty programs. So, and the speaker identified that as the better way. You, you recall, we all went through that, and the speaker correctly says we all participated in writing those things. We ran on it in October of 2016. We won on it in November of 2016, and it's our job to implement it today. So you're all familiar with the better way. I have the one here for health care. And I would just point out, before there was a better way, there was a doctor in the house. So Andrew, I, I didn't want to leave this book for you. The first, the first 10 chapters were all complaining about how I wasn't consulted enough when was written. The last two chapters of the forward-looking part, but interestingly enough, many of those things are, are what we included in the, in the better way. So Republicans have had ideas. Those ideas have been out there. They've been front and center through this entire debate. Uh, I don't buy into the narrative that there were not Republican ideas. On the question that is going to be before us on now what is labeled the American Health Care Act, and I am not in charge of nomenclature. If I was, it would have been called Saving Our Kids from Enormous Debt and Providing Liberty Act. But I didn't get to do that. On the American Health Care Act, uh, yes, I'm like all of you, I'm hearing things about a manager's amendment. I don't know. Let me just speak to what I do know. I do know the bill passed Energy and Commerce and Ways and Means last week, 27 and a half hour, half hour markup in our committee. You may have heard about it. I was positively giddy at 4 o'clock in the morning when I heard that Ways and Means had adjourned. I thought, oh, great, there's hope for us. And 14 hours later, indeed, there was. Um, it, it was, yes, it was a, it was a brutal process. And I, and I do want to say this, and I really feel strongly about it. I support the bill that I voted for in committee. I would like to see that as the bill that is continuing to advance. Now, again, just like all the rest of you, I'm, I'm hearing about managers' amendments or moving parts and the president making deals. Okay, I get all that, but I really want, I thought we had a good product from the energy and commerce perspective, and I do want that to be the product that's advanced. I know there were people in that committee that took a very tough vote on that, uh, both on the right and on the left. I thought that the, as the the compromise that we had worked up, particularly in the Medicaid space, was a reasonable compromise, and, and that's what I would like to see going forward. You know, people talk about, well, we should have just passed the bill we passed in December 2015. Remember, that was the starting point. Remember, some of the voices that are today very critical of the fact that you shouldn't be doing the replace part, we're asking for the replace part in January. Don't just repeal, we've got to repeal and replace. 
Now, in fact, we are doing that. Part of that replacement in the repeal bill of January 2015, the what, how was Medicaid dealt with, goes away. Medicaid expansion goes away in two years. This treats it a little differently. Perhaps there's a little lower trajectory down. Yes, there is a little something for states that did not expand Medicaid. We got some relief on the on the dish side uh, that the cuts that were destined to go into effect under current law in October are, are kind of put on hold. So there's something there for the non-expansion state. There is obviously a a, a more a more gentle glide path for for the, those states that did expand. I do know this: we have to thread that needle. We all talk about entitlement reform. All the headlines are about the budget and how dreadful the budget is and how much of the budget is mandatory and there's very little we can move on the discretionary side. So here's a chance to actually affect that mandatory spending in the Medicaid space to the tune of $800 billion. That is huge. In 2005, my first year on the Committee on Energy and Commerce, we had a bill that was going to slow by 0.4% the growth in Medicaid over the next 10 years, and it was an extremely difficult bill to pass. Uh, this is orders of magnitude harder than that. And many of you remember that bill in 2005, the Deficit Reduction Act. We stayed here all of December to hammer that out. The Senate still screwed it up. We had to come back in January and, and fix it. Uh, but it was enormously difficult even to do that very modest little change, not in the actual dollars spent, in the, but in the projected growth rate. This is dramatic change, and it is done so in a way that provides flexibility to the states, and people are still taken care of. Uh, had a meeting this morning with, with Dr. Price over at HHS, and we'll be talking to our conference a little bit later. This bill that is before us, let me just stress, is the starting point. It is not the ending point. The Affordable Care Act was the ending point. Remember, you can't touch it. You can't do anything because it was a careful, crafted thing, and then Senator Kennedy left, and, and we didn't have 60 votes in the Senate, so nothing could be changed. This is the starting point. This is where things open. The administration has things they can do, and we talked to Dr. Price about some of those things that he's got on, on his agenda ahead of him. I think the figure I heard was there are 1,440 separate regulations that came out of HHS on the Affordable Care Act. They are tackling 10 a week over at HHS right now, trying to provide more flexibility, trying to make things more patient-centered. It will take them 18 months to plow through all of those regulations that passed after, or, or that were enacted after the Affordable Care Act passed. But they're doing it. They're taking it on. And then, of course, what we all talked about is the third phase of the third bucket. The regular order stuff, the stuff that does require 60 votes over in the Senate, things we can continue to work on. No, not next year, not next fall, but right now. And they will be continued to work on. Our committee will, will take up some of the hearings on those things uh, in, in very short order. Let me just say, this is hard work. It is important to take this first step. The bill that is before us is the key that gets us through the door. Uh, for seven years, I have wanted, I have, I have asked for the opportunity to get rid of the Affordable Care Act. This is the opportunity. The time is now. Heaven help us if we don't take advantage of that. Danielle just.